gente, hello and welcome to Kika's Corner. My name is Kika Matos and I am your host. On this show, we talk about our community, our city and the world, but always, 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 we always do it through a social justice lens. Uh, let's get started. And behind me, by the way, is my uh, princess. Her name is Logan, and she is taking her afternoon nap. Um, our topic today is arts and culture in New Haven. Uh, we're going to take a look at the scene in our city, what relationship, if any, there is between arts, culture, and social justice, uh, and what one particular leader in our community is doing in all of these spaces. I'm happy uh, to have as our guest today, Shelly Kiela, who is the executive director of the Festival of Arts and Ideas in New Haven, uh, formerly known as the International Festival of Arts and Ideas. Uh, let me say a little bit about Shelly before we get started. She's been in New Haven now for two years and one month. Uh, before relocating or before moving to New Haven, uh, Shelley was Vice President of Programming, Education and Community Engagement at the Ordway Center for the Performing Arts in St. Paul, Minnesota. At the Ordway, Shelley led a team that programmed and produced concerts, dance and educational programming that reached more than 150,000 people annually. Uh, ella habla español, she's fluent in Spanish, and because of this, she also worked on uh, major initiatives in bilingual programming, and she guided extensive community engagement that centered on the narratives of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Uh, before her work at the Ordway, Shelly uh, worked at uh, the Teatro del Pueblo, which is a Latine theater company in St. Paul, Minnesota. Shelly, welcome to the show. So good to see you. Thank you. Gracias. It's wonderful to be here with you, Kika. Thank you. Uh, and for those of uh, you who are listening and watching, we might uh, fall into a little bit of Spanglish. So um, you are in for uh, uh, some fun. Uh, so Shelly, tell us what compelled you to move to New Haven. You know, I I was looking for, I'd been in, in arts and cultural leadership in the in St. Paul, really um, to activate my desire to drive this connection between and be a part of this movement of social justice in the arts. That was that's why I got into this work. And so um, I was looking for an opportunity to be to, to lead an organization as I felt as at the time when I was in St. Paul, I had kind of gotten to the point where I felt like I'd activated the change I could from the position I was in. And I wanted, um, I wanted to activate in a different way and, and to be changed myself. And um, someone actually mentioned this, this festival, this opportunity to me, this leadership opportunity. And when I saw um, the combination of the community and, and the richness that was here and the um, festival and its history and it's like what it wanted to be and what it was seeking to be, but hadn't maybe quite gotten to yet in terms of its evolution. And um, you know, and then just the the opportunity that the, that having a festival as a platform for work provided, I was like, I this is it. <laughs> I gotta be there. Had you heard much about New Haven before that? No, I, I you know I I mean I know the East Coast um, in pockets, but I didn't know the depths of of what um, what New Haven was and kind of its significance and importance. I, the first time I got here, do you mind if I just dive into stuff and you can like stop Go for me? it. Okay. This is a conversation, so go for <laughs> it. Thank you. Um, 
you know, I moved into a, a building and my office is um, right near the Amistad statue. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what, like, I'm gonna look, what's this about? And the meet, like, I already have a connection to Cuba for my family, right? Like I was married to someone who was born and raised in Cuba. I have familia in Cuba, todavía. I have family on the islands that will always be my family. And I realized that I had come to a city that had this very strong connection through that narrative and then to the Caribbean as a whole um, through its people. And I was like, wow, it just felt, it felt like it was meant to be. And um, so, so I didn't know a lot beforehand, but I've really enjoyed getting to know not just the, the history, but also the people, you know, the folks that, that call this space home. And yeah, um, yeah. I know that uh, you are always everywhere in every community and every significant event. Uh, it, it, I, you are certainly a, a somebody who has made it her business to get to know uh, the city, not just the big obvious places, uh, but the, the communities in particular. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how to lead any other way. I mean, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine um, doing the work that I do as, you know, an arts and cultural, and it's like servant leadership, right? Like I say leadership, but that's not like I'm on top and everyone else. It's like, you're a steward, you know? Like I I think of myself as a steward of resources. And so if my job is to steward resources and affect change for the majority of people who need it the most in the city that I'm gonna live in, then I better get to know all the nooks and crannies. And especially the places where, you know, it's not as brochure flashy and shiny. because that's, that's, I think that's critical. It's just, it's mission critical to, to any arts and cultural leader, but especially the way I want to work. Now, you came to New Haven during a, uh, a really um, critical and, and challenging moment. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was three months after the murder of George Floyd uh, and a few months after the beginning of the pandemic. I'm curious to know how these two uh really earth shattering events um, impacted your outlook about the festival Mm -hmm. and your own response, right? Here are two big globally devastating issues. You're coming into a new space. How how did that affect you? And how did you respond to both things? You're seeing my eyes tear up a little bit. Um, George Floyd was murdered 10 minutes from where I lived in the Twin Cities. My um, my ex-husband worked with him at um, the Latin nightclubs that he where he worked. It was profound to to go through that in a moment when I already knew I was already on my way to New Haven with my family, and to be that close to that kind of trauma, you know that that um, affected so many people. I mean, and there it was for months. It, it and it still is something that's being reconciled. It was hard to leave, you know, like it was both hard to leave. And also it was a moment when I reminded myself that like, this is not just work in St. Paul or in Minneapolis, like this is work everywhere, you know, um, racial justice, because I, you know, I've traveled internationally. I know like colorism exists everywhere. Anti-blackness exists everywhere. (laughs) Like these are things to fight and and un, undo, um, we have to decolonize everywhere. And so, so it gave me the opportunity because I was in transition, I think to kind of, to lean into that and say, 
it's not about being in the right place. It's about being with the right heart and just trusting, you know, that your vocation or what you're called to do is um, that the journey that you're on will take you to the place that, that you're supposed to be, not because you're the one, you know, any kind of special, but just because that's how it's lining up right now. And I've definitely felt, I've definitely felt that power. Um, but in terms of how it, so that's how like I personally made that, that journey over um, in terms of like how it affected the way that I, I took the opportunity to, um, to not rush to try to do things and instead to take the, utilize and leverage some of the festival's resources to invest in things that were already happening here and to show up in spaces that I knew I needed to um, kind of learn more about before I could be effective in doing the work of leading a, a festival in this city. So, so it was, there was a blessing to it, I think, because even though things were quiet, were shut down more, the demands on my time were less. And so, I, I mean, I think one of the moments, Kika, that you and I spent time together, I volunteered to door knock um, in the Fairhaven neighborhood for the, to get information out and schedule vaccines. And I was like, Hey, cool. I speak Spanish. I can like get to know Fairhaven. I can use my span. I had a ball just like getting to know folks in Fairhaven. And I think that partly the um, COVID and the moment that we were in gave, gave me personally stepping into a leadership role space to do that in a way that might not have, it might not have been so easy to say yes to those, even though I would have wanted to, mm -hmm. if the world had been moving in the way it is when it's, when there's not a pandemic. Um, the, the next question that I want to ask you is somewhat related to what you just said, um, but I want to pivot specifically to talk about the, the Festival of Arts yeah. and Ideas as an institution, I believe it's now um, uh, in its 20s, 27 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, it, its mission, as stated today, is to, quote unquote, create an internationally renowned festival in New Haven of the highest quality with world-class artists, thinkers, and leaders attracting and engaging a broad and diverse audience, celebrating and building community and advancing uh, economic development. Um, I would love for you to share with us uh, your own vision of what this means and how you have brought this to life since you became executive director. Um, that's a great question. So I've, uh, I knew that I really wanted to interrogate the world word international um, because I came from, I have a background in festival as well at the Wordway. We had an international, it was called the International Children's Festival for many years. And so I went to convenings um, that were for that community in a performing arts space. And it was very colonial. It was very, you know, Eurocentric. Um, historically, it was about art from Europe, art from Canada, art from Australia, and not Aboriginal Australia, but like white Australia, and maybe Argentina. And so, you know, this is how international, I knew it, not just from New Haven, but like, that's how it was articulated in festivals around the US and Canada. And so um, I was really interested in taking that word and, and have been asking since I started, what does that mean to us? When we say international, what are we saying? And um, and really trying to say, you know what, we are, international is black, international is native, international, like we are, there is, there are folks here that have connections that live in New Haven, have lived in New Haven for generations that are connected to the globe through their bloodlines and their, and their cultural histories. And that is, 
Um, and so I, you know, I got, I wanted to intentionally kind of push on that word, but also change its meaning so that, um, so that when we say international, often you say global and then people think, oh, black and brown, that's global. International is white. Like it's just, it's really weird. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm interested in, um, in unpacking that and really getting us all to look at that word and saying, what is it that we're talking about when we say this? And, and why is it so hard for, you know, folks in performing arts, pr traditional performing arts kind of spaces that are white led to not, why is it hard for them to see that um, hypocrisy is really the right word. I mean, it's, it's a hypocrisy to say international and not really mean it. So, um, so that's how I experience international. <laughs> and, uh, and qual I think quality is fraught too. I mean, that's something else that I, um, really wanted to interrogate and stay in the same circle of, you know, this conversation around what quality means when you're talking about art from um, different cultural value bases, the, the way that you, your values are imbued in your art, right? And so how can you possibly have quality that's uniform that you can use to judge different cultural aesthetics from a singular lens? It's impossible. And, um, and I think that really puts you know folks up quite a bit. They, they, so these words are coded words. They're coded racist words, actually, is what they are. Quality is a coded racist word, and so is international. And so you know, I I'm interested in kind of making that visible, and then saying we're not going to do that anymore, <laughs> and figuring out how to how to activate in a different way, whether it's with those words with a different meaning or with different words. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to start with, here's how I've experienced these historically in artistic circles. Uh, your, and um, which brings me to this point, which is uh, under your, your leadership, uh, I can speak to this and, and I can also say that anecdotally, this is the word on the street and that's the, the reputation of the festival has changed in uh, the last two years since you've been here. Uh, uh, as you know, because I know you've been um, uh, in a lot of, of spaces uh, where you have listened, um, but there there has there have been longstanding criticisms for a long time that the festival has largely catered to a wealthy white audience, um, with little beyond uh, tokenism directed towards communities of color. Um, that that really has changed and. You know, I credit you uh, uh, in uh, as a change agent, uh, somebody who's transformed the festival and made it more inclusive, uh, more welcoming and more diverse. And I'm wondering if you can bring this to life by giving us specific examples. You just laid out your own vision and your own analysis of, of global versus international mm -hmm. and of the importance of um, having a a diverse uh, array of programming and arts from which to draw, but talk to us about how you've actually tackled this and what you have done uh, to, to transform the festival from what it was two years ago uh, to what it is today. Um, thank you. In community is the, is the short answer, not by myself. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I think that's one of the first things I, I learned um, when I started activating my ideals of, of anti-racism and social justice in, in the Twin Cities was, um, this is not like, you have to kind of quickly get over your own ego, you know, should you have one and understand that it's movement work, it's not, it's not savior work. 
And um, so the first thing that I actually had the, the joy to be able to do was to bring in um, new members of a team. And that was part of the way where the festival was, is the, you know, the folks that had been in, in um, leadership roles either had already left or were, um, or were planning to retire um, and get really kind of gifted me with a lot of space. So I, I was, I'm grateful for that space and, uh, and said, you know, this is your leadership. You have an opportunity now to change um, who is in different positions. And so so I think that I started with programming because I like who who is curating and selecting programming as as conscious as I can be as a white woman. I'm not I'm not Afro-Latina. I'm not black. I'm not, you know, native. And so there's a sensibility that I lack because I haven't lived in those bodies. And I think it's really important to bring in folks that have thought about curation from within that perspective, you know, have thought about it in a reflective way and then just really sur surround and support um, those, those leaders, those curatorial leaders um, in ways that they can articulate their voices, you know, and that's how you, that's how it becomes authentic and non-token, I, I think, is my job is less, is less curation and more facilitation. And, and so it's changing the staff and, and who's on the staff and giving the staff the space to um, be creative in ways that, you know, to say hair, hair art is art, for example. That's one of the first things that Malachi Eason did as a director of programming is he had this vision that he wanted to expand the way that art was defined in the festival. And I, the festival has been doing this, but it's been doing it mostly in like um, European traditional ways. Um, so through puppetry and which is valid uh, and, and also missing something. So um, Malachi said, you know what, hair, where I come from, like hair art shows are a big thing. Let's do a hair art show on the green. You know, let's do a fashion show and really highlight um, androgynous fashion as this as this articulation of self um, for black and brown designers. And so we did that last year. And, and I think that I never would have come up with that because I haven't lived it, you know? And so so who's who's in power, who's making decisions and how they're supported and, and applauded and cheered for and I think is really, really important. And I, I spent a lot of I spend a lot of energy, yes, showing up and also like really supporting intentionally with love and joy my neighbors. Um, because that's I think that's my privilege as a white woman is I don't have to carry as much of the pain of racism in my body every day. So, so then I'm going to use my energy to like lift folks up that do have to carry that pain because mm -hmm. that's one of the ways I can activate my allyship, both as an employee in this organization and as a community member. How would you describe the festival's relationship with the New Haven community writ large today? Oh, gosh. It's so funny. Like I, I didn't know the festival very well before I got here. So people are like, it's so, things are so different. I don't know. I'm just doing what I think we're supposed to do. <laughs> um, you know, it, it feels, it feels strong. It feels, I feel, I feel love when I go out and I love in Richard, like I love and I feel loved and that feels really good. And I, you know, I think that when I first got here, I felt a little skepticism from folks like, what are you, who's this white lady coming in from Minnesota and what's she going to be all about? And like, yay, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I was one of those for sure. 
<laughs> moment of uh, honest honesty uh yes i was one of those people good i mean like and and frankly i would i would be too if i lived i would have the same questions and so um so i spent that's why i mean i spent time i love spending time in community and also i knew it was really important in order to build trust to show up as myself and and just be ready for people thinking that i was you know, going to be a certain way. And then either folks will change their minds or not. And that's fine too. Like that, like depersonalizing the reaction to me is also part of how I think you activate social justice work from as a white person. Like it can't be about me. It's not about me. It's about I, what I, I do. Yeah. I do remember when we first met that at some point in time you switched. Tu empezaste, nosotros empezamos a hablar en español. <laughs> Uh, and I was stunned uh, that I was looking at um, this. Uh, una gringa, por favor, dile lo que es, this, ¿no, una gringa. This white woman with light eyes <laughs> speaking Spanish with a hardcore Cuban accent, <laughs> and I was blown away. Uh, and I think that was part of the, your your real uh, embrace uh, of. A different culture and um, the fluidity and and the accent, I think, in particular, uh, was something that that moved me immediately. Um, you're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM, and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Uh, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about our democracy, which is increasingly under attack. Uh, and we are losing uh, many of the rights that we fought so hard for and thought were permanent rights. The most recent being the Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs, which um, ended the the federal right uh, to abortion. Um, do you think there's a unique role that uh, arts and cultural institutions um, should be playing at this particular juncture? And if so, what are your ideas about the, the specific roles that they can play? Mm. Great question. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, there is some, there is a role that arts and culture should play. Um, I think that arts, arts experiences get at soul and heart and humanity in a way that words sometimes just words can't. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they can to a certain degree, but but not always. And I I love like I love satire, I love comedy, I love um, things that make that kind of hit me in a way that they maybe snuck in and then got me to think about something a little differently. I think we have to be really smart about um, the work that we are uh, presenting and its intent, and our and interrogate our own. Um, lens through which we are experiencing it and what we want it to do. And it should, in my, my perspective, is it should always humanize. If, if the art is not seeking to more fully to like advance the understanding of humanity, that especially people who are not seen as fully human through, through the media or through, through laws, um, like folks that are in cages on the border, like what a great topic to be able to say, to put art in front of someone and say like, these are human beings and what we are doing is inhumane. And I think that like holding up that mirror is what we can do as, um, as creators. And it, I think also it, it fortifies us. 
you know, art can fortify us. And I was uh, in a bomba. I've been in a few bombas with you, Kika. And I always feel for like that I've been fortified after I go through a bomba experience and just the the power of that communal kind of healing moment and the drums. So so there's that presentational role I think that art can play to to make you ask, am I, you know, what's going on here? Why are we treating human beings like this? And and how can we um, undo that and and see each other more fully human and then activate that belief. And then also to fortify, you know, ourselves in this work and allow ourselves to let, let it down and be human and feel that full humanity. Cause sometimes I think we, we treat each other in a dehumanizing way because we feel dehumanized. Yeah. How is this going to show up uh, in next year's festival? Um, so I see a really strong, um, Black and Afro-Latin community in New Haven. It is powerful and awesome. And that's been prevalent in the programming since we've come here, since I've come here. And I think that that thread will continue. Um, and the and building on that is foundation, the continued articulation of, of um, stories, narrative. And when I say stories and, and language as well, I mean, I mean art, I mean, Parades. I mean, bomba. I mean, español. I you know. I mean, all of those things, um, kind of coming and and without bounds. I don't like is. I don't like being restricted, which is why I think stereotypes make me so angry. Because I'm like, ah, get me out of this box, right? So like, art is about to me a festival. The power of a festival should be about breaking those boxes down. So, so that's the that's the lens of curation that um, that Malachi and his team use is like how can we create moments, experiences, using the city as our stage to um, to break open these boxes, to fortify each other, to find joy, and to co-create. So um, people should expect to see five neighborhood festivals again. That's not going away. That wasn't a one year thing. Um, three you know three weekends on the green for free. With, with all kinds of cultural offerings and inclusive of, of people in New Haven who make New Haven their home and people that live outside of New Haven working in, in partnership with each other. Um, performances that, that hopefully, you know, make you, make some of us feel like super validated and others maybe be confronted with things that they, they didn't know they were being confronted with. So, you know, that more of that, I think is what I'm excited about. And I would really love to see the festival expand even more um, in ways that's not about dominating, but in ways that's about uplifting. Beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like I could talk to you for another few hours, but we are coming <laughs> to the end of the show. Uh, and as is uh, my habit, I'm gonna ask you some uh, closing uh, questions that are uh, a little bit more personal in nature. So uh, let's go with the first one, which is as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, so many different things I can never choose. Advertising teacher, famous singer. Um, those were the three in most rotation. Huh. Oh, oh, if you and, had, and doctor. Had, doctor was doctor. another one. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, if you had to describe yourself using three words, what would they be? Uh, joyous, welcoming, alive. Uh, if they made a movie of your life, 
what would it be about and which actor would you want to play you? Oh, Higa. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it would be like a circle story because so much of, as I journey through all these different phases of my life, I feel myself kind of going back home in my mind a lot to when I was little and, um, and just like leaning into things that I knew then that I, I just didn't know what they fully meant. So it'd be, it'd be all about this like homecoming, um, but with a, like a real journey. Who would play me? Oof. I don't know. Who do you think would play me? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let you off the hook. Is there anybody who comes to mind? I will say um, I like Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yes, for sure. She's yeah. A really, she's, a, she's a great actor. Uh, folks, we have come to the end of the show. Thank you so much, Shelley, for joining us today. A big thank you to our fabulous producer, Harry, uh, for once again pulling this all together. To all of you who are listening or on Facebook Live, um, please do something for the cause of justice today, tomorrow, for the rest of the month and the year. And until the next one here is wishing you a warm, uh, I think we're at the end of the summer, early fall, and here's hoping for uh, many more days of sunshine. Tu n'as pas de